0: listening to episode 162 of sci-fi tv rewatch my name's dave and i'm joined as always by my co-host wayne as we continue our look at season one of tnt's the librarians and uh you survived your trip to new york
1: i did uh it was great time not only survived we thrived it was awesome it was a lot of fun all right so what'd you do well we went up and really we're going up to see uh jersey boys and uh, so then that show was fantastic, and then we went to a matinee. Of that so, then after that, Jay was like, "Oh, you want to go see another show?" And so we got last minute tickets to see. So you lied? I lied about what? She said, "Do you want to see another show?" Yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, I'd never been to Broadway before, actually. So I was kind of. I, I actually wanted to go see School of Rock, but uh, those tickets were still a little too out of our price range, even at the last minute. Um, so we went to the Cirque du Soleil paramore which you know was uh it was okay i i didn't the, the uh the the circus parts with the acrobats and everything was awesome as always but it's just like they they say around like an actual like story and with people like singing like a like a real musical and stuff uh, okay and i was just like uh, I mean those parts i didn't care for okay i mean the people in the audience weren't singing along with it were they Uh, no, I don't think so. There might've been some people, but I didn't. Yeah. All right. Well, that's good. All right. (laughs) There were definitely people singing along at Jersey boys though. Okay. I think it's kind of expected. Okay. All right.
0: Well, we're here to talk about season one, episode six of the librarians titled the librarians and the fable of doom. But before we get to that, Wayne and I want to remind you, we'd love to hear from you via email at sci-fi tv rewatch gmail.com or the website where you can leave a voicemail using the leave voicemail tab you can record your own audio clip and send the mp3 as an attachment or just send us a tweet at sci-fi tv rewatch and we'd encourage you to consider joining the facebook group and join the discussions there now some of the more astute listeners may be thinking to themselves hey wait a minute you said episode six you guys did episode three what happened to four and five so obviously one of our listeners, that would be Ona Ra Selene, and I hope I pronounced that correctly, tipped us off to the fact that the order in which the episodes were aired on TNT was not the intended order, and then further tipped me off to John Rogers' blog – which is amazing. I'm sure you just got back, so you haven't had a chance to look at it yet. No, yet. Uh, I put a link in the show notes so you can check it out there. And I'm going to mention a few things that, that he pointed out. But one of the, the reasons that it got shifted around, and, and he did say in his blog that he thinks it turned out pretty well the way, the way it was aired. But here's what happened. Everything fell into place rather quickly. So, you know, they had episodes filmed in a particular order. And then for the Christmas episode, well, they got a, a rather prominent guest star, right? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. So <laughs> then, all right, you got this great Christmas episode. You got this great guest star. So what, we're going to wait to air it in late January? No, we'll air it now, Yeah, right before Christmas, which is what they did. and And, and I mean, why wouldn't you, of course? Sure. And
1: I guess that's... Like the advantage of you know kind of an episodic show where you 're not really you have a little bit of a thread that unites the shows, but really the shows i 'm not saying can be put in any random order, but just you you have that advantage of some of these shows you can shift around because they pretty much do like go from week to week
0: right and not wanting to get too spoiled, it just sounds to me like some of the Facebook posts state that it really has more to do with character development that if you see it in the correct order which apparently is how it appears on the dvd then certain things make sense so you know I, obviously what we're going to do is look at it in the intended order so it's episode six this week and i believe it's episode eight last week when we when i get to the closing i've got it in there and you
1: know we'll uh, eventually get to the christmas episode Right. And there's definitely parts in here where when I remember watching it at first and and thinking like wait like the whole issue between Jacob and, and Cassie, I remember the first time I saw this and he says how he doesn't trust her. I'm like, Well wait a second, hold on. He, he's still dealing with that? Like you know, like I thought that was resolved ages ago. And now that it's in this order, it makes way much more sense. Sure. You know. Sure. I guess. I've got a few things to say about that once we get into
0: okay. the discussion. Before we get too far along, I want to remind you again, as we have been the last couple of weeks, that we plan to cover the entire first season of HBO's take on Michael Crichton's Westworld when it airs in October. So if you haven't yet, make a point to watch the movie. It's only 90 minutes, so it's a pretty quick study, and we'll keep you posted on our plans leading up to that debut. Now, it's been a while since we've thanked people Obviously, we've got a lot of the regulars that have been with us for a while, so I want to take tonight to thank Sylvia P., Rose Elizabeth Weed, Cass C., Onora, Webb Granny, Kendra Watson, Danielle Landon, Lori Schaefer, uh, the people over at GateCast, Natalie Castro, Stargate Zone, Jody Sullivan, Mangan Alice. Atlantis TV, Gatecast, Jessica Gerardo, and Amber for liking, retweeting our tweets, and just basically, you know keeping us as visible as possible. So uh, thank you one and all. All right, now onto the Facebook group. And, and again, I know you've been busy the last few days, but one of the recurring themes has to do with the ties that the librarians has with a former TNT show called Leverage which was also created by John Rogers and right. featured Christian Kane, who plays Stone, along with... Uh, yeah, I actually did see these posts. So okay, I mean. along with Timothy Hutton. Now, in Rogers' blog, he mentions having an affinity for putting together teams in his shows and then watching how the relationships evolve. And and I think, you know, you and I both love shows like that. And, sure. You know, probably comes from our coaching background. Yeah, it might be. Yeah, but the show and... and I can only speak to the pilot and the little that I've read is about a team who punishes the wicked and makes whole those who've been stolen from sort of like a modern day Robin hood, I guess. Okay. And I love the tweet we got from Maria Lajos who said that she was afraid that after listening to our librarians podcast, that we hadn't seen leverage Maria. I've done my part, Wayne, uh, uh no, you've got to no, no, do yeah. yours. All right. So <laughs> I did watch the pilot. I, I enjoyed it a lot. And, you know, one of the things that, that I mentioned, I think it was on the Facebook group, that whenever I Google Christian Kane, it seems like all the pictures come up and he's got this shoulder length hair that, you know, hey, I thought looked pretty cool, but it, it's, hey, <laughs> that's not stone. And his hair is quite a bit longer in leverage. And it, there's just a great scene in the pilot where it's a bunch of people that are put together and they're all used to working on their own. And the one guy is asking him early on, it's like, well, what is it you do? And, you know, he doesn't answer him. And then, of course, there the, the one guy, he's trying to break into this one room. And all of a sudden, like six guards surprise him. Christian Kane's character takes them all out. That's what
1: I do. Huh. <laughs> so it was pretty cool. So does he have like the long hair like that in, in leverage? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. it's yeah. So, good with the long hair. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, all right, a little bit of sci-fi news. You know, before we were doing The Librarians, I really wasn't, you know, motivated to really research what was going on in Librarians News. Variety reported, now this is back in May, that Vanessa Williams is joining the third season of The Librarians. and, And she's going to be in a recurring role, playing General Rockwell, the tough, brilliant head of the top secret black ops secret government agency known as DOSA which investigates statistical anomalies. Her character sets her sights on apprehending the librarians and obtaining the magical artifacts contained in the library. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sounds awesome. She's great. Yeah. 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 Cool. That's awesome. Yep. So the third season of TNT's series is going to see the librarians confronting this new antagonist. DOSA, Department of Statistical Anomalies, D-O-S-A, whose mission is to apprehend them, take control of the library and all the artifacts hidden inside. And, you know, I- I'm sure most of you will recognize Vanessa Williams, but she's certainly been in Ugly Betty, 666 Park Avenue, which I think we looked at the pilot way back we did. in the day. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember That's her. Right. I
1: forgot about that one. Yeah.
0: Uh, Desperate Housewives. So her genre cred is going to get a boost with this role for sure. Yeah. Sweet. So all right. Now you had mentioned wanting to talk a little bit about Mr. Robot before we get started with the librarians. Yes. And did that already return? Yeah. For season two? Yeah.
1: So I mean it's funny because you know, you you had I thought we're really into the show because I seem to remember you saying how good it was on a number of occasions. So, you know, it just um there was like one night, I'm just like, hey, you know, kind of in between shows. Not a lot on TV that I'm watching right now. I said, hmm, what about Mr. Robot? I'm like, well, but if season two is already started, it's like halfway done. And I don't know if we can get into it now if I can't catch up on season two. And like the day I was considering this was actually the day of the season two premiere. So I went through and been season one and watched the first episode of season two. And now I'm immediately going back to rewatching season 1 because oh by the way uh, if you don't watch Mr. Robot this at this point it's going to get really 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 spoilery and you do not want to hear it so fast forward like you know a couple minutes right now okay recovered right okay
0: now as i told you i i really liked it i mean that wasn't uh you
1: know that but wasn't you didn't lerve it you said
0: well i you know i i guess I, I, what I did was, season one, when I finally got around to it, I binged it in a whole weekend because I think it's only like eight episodes, right? This 10, yeah. 10. And I really planned to do the same thing with season two. I, I just got so much going on that I'm trying to keep up with that while you know, I really enjoyed it, I was probably going to wait. And then you said, ah, dude, I can't believe you didn't want it. So anyway, all right. So d- <laughs> so, so don't worry about spoiling me with episode one
1: of season two. Okay. Well, I, I really, I was I really just kind of want to talk more about season one, anyway, because I've I've got this theory, and I was checking because again, taking the bus back from New York, I had like loads of time. Probably people were like, "Man, Wayne is all over Facebook today." Just, <laughs> I had like three hours of uh, of time to kill there. So, okay, I did not know if you'd consider this. All right, so we know that again, last chance spoiler. It's going to be happening like crazy. So this is—you've been duly warned by this point. Okay, so we know that Elliot is Mister Robot, right? So really, like you know, like that Fight Club thing. I wanted to go back and see all those scenes because you know that, like, phew, I wasn't even thinking that because they do it really very well. To that, you know, when he's in a scene with Christian Slater, it seems like they're both interacting with everyone at the same time. Right. Well, that's the way. Since we're
0: basically seeing it through his eyes, yeah, I would say that's correct. But, but I guess before you go uh, further, you said Elliot is Mister Robot. Yeah, I thought his father was Mister Robot. Right. I thought that was the name of the shop that his father opened. Right. But his dad's dead. Well, yeah. Right.
1: Right. So now he's
0: uh, he's assumed that persona of Mister Robot. Okay. All
1: right. 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 Like, yeah, so that because he doesn't know it, as he just knows this guy's Mister Robot, right? Right. He doesn't know that he's not making the connection that it's his dad, right? Okay. Not until he kisses his sister, right? And then it all he he figured actually not even until it's he's, he's even after that because you know he still thinks his that well then he that's when he realizes that Christian Slater is his father, but it's not until like the next episode where he realizes that his dad is really dead and that he's been imagining, you know, this guy, he's projected this character of Mr. Robot is, is, it's completely in his imagination. And that it, it actually, he is the one who's been doing all those things. Right.
0: As you said, I mean, the, the fight club analogy is, is really, I, I think a pretty
1: accurate one. So then there's things that happen where people interact with Christian Slater, right? Because like the, he gets punched out the one time. I think he uh, he's leaving a restaurant one time. He, he interacts with like a homeless guy, I think, or something like that. So, so you know, it throws you off, right? But then there's at no time is someone interacting with both Elliot and Christian Slater at the same time. So those times when Christian Slater, we see Christian Slater interacting with someone, we imagine that Elliot is kind of projecting himself as an observer and that, you know, he's, I don't know. It's, it's weird. They kind of break the rules a little bit as far as like, cause like fight club was really good at strictly at no time. Does someone interact with both Tyler and Edward Norton's character at the same time? You know? Yeah. But here they do. Mr. Yeah. Right. So, so the, the next thing that happens though is with Tyler Willett, Right. Because there's that scene when Elliot goes to see Tyler's wife and she speaks to him in Swedish. Okay. Right? Yeah. And so I'm like, dude, is 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 Elliot Tyrell too? Didn't think about that. Yeah. So I went and checked and there's like strong evidence that there's no way – that uh, it's not possible. But then what I'm thinking with the way that Mr. Bo- robot kind of bends the rules of how people, because inter- like there's that one scene where they're uh, like in episode one, they're at that meeting and Elliot's there and Tyrell is there and people are not interacting with both. of them. In fact, I don't think anyone's talking to Tyrell at all. They're just talking to Elliot. So I'm watching this. I'm like, Oh man, this totally, they're not interacting with Tyrell at all. Like he's not there. He's so Elliot, but then, Tyrell gets up and pulls Elliot's boss aside. And that, that's the point where his boss then comes back in and, and takes Angela out of the room. So it looks like they're both interacting with people. And then there's also the scene where Elliot goes back to um to find Tyrell Willett at um eCor, and the receptionist is like, Well, no, Mr. Willett's not. Or he asks, you know, is Mr. Willett here? And, and she's like, No, he's he's not here you know, probably the receptionist would be like, um, you're him, you know? Uh-huh. But again, I guess the show could explain all of these things away as being his imagination or whatever, if, if they're going to make that. So I don't know. Well, cool. Well,
0: I'll, you know, I'm looking forward to season two. Uh, as soon as things slow down for me a, a little
1: bit, I'll try to, so the only one episode is aired. Uh, I think when's it on? It might maybe second episode might be tonight, maybe okay, or tomorrow, or, or something like that. Right. Maybe tonight. All right. Well, that wasn't too spoilery. I mean,
0: if you haven't seen the show, I, I think you get the idea that certainly there's a heavy mystery involved that that really starts falling into place at the end of the season, and it really is psychological. You, you know, Wayne mentioned the tie-in or the analogy rather to fight club so yeah
1: i'll probably still binge it but right yeah yeah it's like at first watching it i was like man i don't know because you know you had really spoken highly of it and i was like man i don't know it's like all this computer stuff and everything and there was some interesting stuff but it was like really i didn't see what got everyone so bent out of shape about it first it seemed like kind of like it's fairly standard and then, you know, around episode 8, it really kicks in with all this all this really twisted stuff, twisty stuff that uh that I was talking about. And all of a sudden it like, you know, kind of kicks into high gear. So, uh yeah, it's definitely worth it.
0: All right. Cool. Well, when we get to the end of the podcast, if we're doing okay on time, uh you know, we're we're just about to embark on San Diego Comic-Con week. So, I've got Uh, I guess the days that a lot of the shows are going to be doing their panels, those of them that are there, uh, the librarians apparently is not going to be at San Diego comic-con, but you know, not to fear it's doing well on TNT, but Mr. Robot is going to have a panel on Thursday. So obviously this podcast won't get released till Friday, you know, a few days after that, start looking on YouTube because a lot of these panels will show up there. And obviously, as we said before, the, the, quality of them just keeps getting better and better each year all right well let's talk about the librarians season one episode six the librarians and the fables of doom written by kate rorick who ends up writing three episodes of the librarians so far and then she wrote for a show called the lizzie bennett diaries that i don't really know it sounds like a ya show but what do i know i don't know directed though by john Jonathan- well, it's
1: probably like pride and
0: prejudice right Oh well, could be. Or that,
1: I don't know. Elizabeth yeah, Bennett, well, yeah.
0: Yeah, you're probably right. All right. Okay. Directed though by Jonathan Frakes.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Who we know as Commander Riker, yeah, Star Trek: Next Generation. That. Now I knew he directed. I just didn't know how much. Uh, he directed the second and third Librarians movies. He directed Star Trek: First Contact, Star Trek: Resurrection. He's directed uh, Agents of Shield episodes three episodes of falling skies dollhouse persons unknown 12 episodes of leverage and a bunch of star trek next generation deep space nine and voyager so i mean we, we certainly recognize him as commander Riker, but it sounds as if he's made quite a name for himself behind the camera as well
1: sure oh that's awesome yeah i knew he directed a lot but i didn't even like i knew he did the the star trek movies and everything but i didn't like i didn't know he did dollhouse and you know, in uh, Folly Skies. That's, that's awesome.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, this one aired on January 4th, 2015. As we said, it was intended by John Rogers to be the fourth episode, but it aired as the sixth. We seem to be on this pattern and I certainly hope it keeps up of getting very cool guest stars because so far we've had Matt Frewer, mm-hmm. Tr- Tricia Helfer. Yep. Uh, we know from the Christmas episode, that that we've got a, a pretty big name. We'll hold that off for a while. <laughs> but in this one, we've got Rene Aubert Genois, who a lot of listeners, I'm sure, know from Star Trek Deep Space Nine as Odo. And, you know, it just seems like I've, he's such a character actor that that I've seen him in other things. But then when I was looking at the list, I I must just know him from Star Trek. Really? You've never watched Benson? No. Nah. Are you serious? No. oh my god what (laughs) seriously when was it on dude
1: in the 80s uh Uh, robert guillaume was a butler to the governor of california he was the kind of smart aleck and renee aubergenois was the uh like the chief of staff kind of oh okay and they were always at odds with one another, it was a great like comedy pair. There, those two were hilarious together. I can't believe you never saw Benson. That yeah, show was huge. Yeah, the eighties is kind of my lost decade, <sighs> <laughs> and we'll leave it at that. <laughs> All right, um but also, well, you must have seen the movie Mash, though, right? Yeah, the original one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, he's Father Mulcahy in uh the, the movie. Oh. Okay. He's very young. Like you it's I mean you you recognize him a little bit, but he's he's very very young. Wow. Yeah, cuz I gee, well, yes,
0: I saw that at the actually I saw that at a drive-in movie theater. Nice. For those of you that still know what those are, <laughs> do they even exist anymore? I don't even know.
1: Uh yeah, there's one down in uh in Essex. Oh, okay. Oh, the Benjis. Yeah, the Benjis, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And uh oh, well Obviously, you remember him from the Little Mermaid, right? Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, you just you just did that on purpose. I did, but he, <laughs> he has a he has a song. He sings uh, the le poisson in uh, in uh, uh, Little Mermaid.
0: All right. Well,
1: it's a very funny song.
0: All right. Well, he's great in this one. So a, a, yeah. cup, a couple of initial impressions for me. I, I really like it that the librarians have to take down. An evil librarian, and the fact that fairy tales can have a dark side, and and, and look, uh, obviously, well, fairy I mean, tales
1: have. I mean, that's like the thing. Like, it, uh, uh, Jenkins, <laughs> you know, says how they all end with like bloodshed and death. You know, and and that's true. Like the actual fairy tales are are not happy ending Disney movies,
0: right? But I think a lot of them have been, I don't, maybe toned down a little bit you know, for our delicate sensibilities over the last 20, 30 years. So, you know, not not presented perhaps as originally intended by their authors. Right. We get our answer about Jenkins going out into the field, but, you know, he keeps going back and forth. Obviously the scene with the vending machine is is just classic. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And then, I don't know about you, but And really, I guess you could argue that this is one of the major themes of the episode. The librarians acting out of character reminded me of that Lost Girl episode with the body jumping. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I guess in this one, though, it's also more of these characters exploring sides that, that they haven't let get to the surface.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that's probably instead of saying they're out of character, that like, I think what you just said kind of nails it. Like you know, parts of them that we really don't see much, but are, are totally there. Right, and probably the most obvious
0: one, well, visually, it is Eve and her hair. <laughs>
1: yeah. Another costume and heels well well,
0: yeah and we'll talk about that the the way those things evolve as the episode transpires so we got the opening scene and this is one of the shortest opening scenes i think i've seen in any show right you got this impatient truck driver who runs through the flagman stop sign narrowly avoids a head-on collision and then suddenly this huge hand appears and picks up the truck to carry it away
1: and like right and then we go to the and I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess we're into the episode now.
0: <laughs> yeah, and and in retrospect, I don't think he is affected by the story. Right. He's just an impatient truck driver.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Because and that's funny how they did that. Because you you think like this first scene is going to introduce us to like. One of the main characters, who's going to be part of the problem or the part of what they need to solve, the main baddie and everything. And honestly, all the elements are really just incidental. That uh, it, it gets them on the case, but like the troll they solve, the guy in the truck, we we don't hear from again. So it's like everyone in that is kind of their job is done about five minutes into the show.
0: Right. I mean, I I guess you could argue that. The librarian is in the hospital room reading the story to the little girl. And perhaps he had an incident earlier in the day with road rage and he's reading this. In, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah. But, but we cut immediately to the next morning. Police are questioning witnesses as the trucks being pulled from the water. And the librarians emerge from, I think it's fair to say a high end porta a potty <laughs> <laughs> uh, having been sent, through the wormhole by Jenkins. And you know, I really like this touch because it's a small detail, but I I think it's really good that the writers put that in, that they decide they can't keep using Eve's
1: counter-terrorism approach. Right. Nor well, can, especially in this case, you know, it's like this small town. How you know, how's that gonna fly? You well, know,
0: like, well, right, nor can they tell the truth about being librarians. Stone fumbles around with this story about cataloging traffic flow accidents. (laughs) Now, I would have thought Stone would be a little bit quicker on his feet, given his academic background. But,
1: well, but see, sometimes when the academic background doesn't always lend itself to you know real world quick thinking, you know. Well, that's true. That's true. But what I do, and you know what I'm going to say about what I love about this scene, right? No, how Cassie references Supernatural. Oh yes, I, I did. Yeah. He's like, well, oh, it's supernatural. They always explain away as like swamp gas and everything. Just like they're like, Oh, we can't say that. And, and then, you know, of course Jacob's explanation is just as ludicrous as just saying it's swamp gas, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Or he, he makes
0: the connection with oh no, that's UFOs or something like that. Yeah. Uh but what comes out of it is that the sheriff knows he's being mocked for being a hick. And I like and and it comes up a couple of times. Let, let's take a show of hands. Which character do you think is more likely to mock this rural sheriff? Hmm. If you would it be
1: yeah. Ezekiel, yeah,
0: and that's <laughs> one of the great lines in the episode. Later on, when he does it again, and you know, she says, "Didn't I tell you?" He goes, "What made you think I would listen?" Yeah.
1: Well, that's like, yeah, I mean, he's just so. Hilariously arrogant, you know, like to, he just right to the guy's face when the guy says, well, you mean quaint?" He's like, you know, like boring. You know, like he just tells them to his face that he's a hick. So
0: yeah, now you know, I, I read, and because John Rogers' blog is pretty lengthy, and he and he answers a lot of fan questions. I'm going to say this, you know, and, and I'm pretty sure it's accurate that he said when John Kim auditioned, it, it was that. Ezekiel Jones that came across and, you know, you get the idea that maybe that's how John Kim really is. And and that's what got him the job. Could be,
1: but he, he he definitely, I mean, you really get a feeling of, of, you know, as we've been saying right from the start of Ezekiel's being this really unique character. Sure. Sure. All right. So we've got the
0: return of magic to the world. All sorts of incidents are coming to the librarian's attention so you know this isn't necessarily all that unusual in in their world order cassandra thinks she sees a pattern on the truck's window but she's unable to make sense of it stone takes the fire extinguisher which okay that was pretty good thinking yeah and we reveal this giant fingerprint although on my rewatch it looked like his fingers were much smaller When he was crushing it, but oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. but uh, that's well, that that might have been his thumb though on that part. Okay, all right. So immediately they contact Jenkins. Oh, it's a troll. Yeah, (laughs) you you can't fight a troll. You need to run. But first, try to get a photo.
1: Yeah, and maybe a little DNA. Yeah, and that's like the funny thing about Jenkins. How these things are just like completely crazy or just common every day to him he's just like he's like hmm, troll's not indigenous to the pacific northwest <laughs> it's like what yes. lines
0: like that are just fantastic and, and your favorite two descriptive words get used in this scene cryptic and annoying again oh yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> when he tells eve that they're subdued during the day sort of like vampires but yeah All right. Well, one of the things that that I, I was thinking about as I was watching this is whether or not Eve learned nothing from the labyrinth. Because she starts ordering them around, just like she did early on, sending Stone and Cassandra together. And of course, I'm thinking, ah, does she want them to work out their issues? Or does she just want to keep an eye on Jones? Well, on the rewatch, it's definitely she knows what she's doing. She wants them to work out their differences so basically she gets a three. and
1: she wants to keep an eye on jones. i was gonna say she gets a twofer <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> uh, so as she and jones are searching for the troll he mentions and I, you know are, are we going to get a scene later on where he becomes disillusioned and wants to leave because he says hey you know once this stops being fun i'm gone right yeah so whether he'll perhaps sell out the team whether he'll just you know, want to leave the team. You know, I thought that was a a great hint if it is in fact a hint,
1: but. Yeah, it's it's definitely an indication that he is still kind of a, a lone wolf type guy, right? But uh, also from what we've seen of him, and I guess what we see in this episode is that, you know, he's, he's pretty, we, despite what he says, he, he seems pretty invested in this team. Yeah.
0: Well, sure, but the irony is that because of how he is, that's basically what enables them to solve this issue and everybody live happily ever after.
1: Right. And, you know, it's funny because people like, especially Eve is like kind of dismissive of him. Like, you know, cause they have like the, to every, like Jacob says, I think we should go after the book. Ezekiel says we should go to the hospital and, you know, everyone else kind of sides with Jacob and, and is very dismissive of Ezekiel. Like, yeah. They understand that he has skills, but um, but th- that they don't necessarily translate to skills as far as, you know, like planning and organizational skills, you know? Like he's just like kind of like a grunt. And But, you know, as we see here, he ends up being right.
0: Yeah. I mean, do they not recognize his awesomeness? I mean, right,
1: come on, exactly. Well, and that's the problem, I guess. When you're super arrogant, that like people don't feel the need to recognize uh, you what you, what you do because they feel probably feel like, well, you do enough self recognition,
0: right? And they, they probably resist to a certain extent because of that as well. Sure. Now you brought up the trust issue early in the podcast, and this is the point where Cassie brings it up, and Stone says, "Look, I can work with you. I like you. I just don't trust you." Right, and and of course she's at a loss of how to handle it, and you know it really bothers me that he's so cavalier about it, when it's clear that she really takes it so much to heart, and that sure. it really does bother her. Well, and he says,
1: "Well, I'm cool with how things are." It's like, wait, a how can you be? And b obviously Cassie is not cool with how things are. But he, you're right, he's very cavalier, and and. I've used the word now a couple of times, but dismissive of that as well.
0: Right. I mean, why can't he say,
1: well, you know, why don't we just work together?
0: Let's see what happens. You know, that, that yes, you could
1: earn my trust somehow. Right. Because that's all she wants to hear. Exactly. Right. That, yeah, exactly. That just say, listen, we'll work through a little bit of time right now. It's a little weird right now, but. I think maybe if we just keep, we can work through it possibly. Right, right. Given her hope. You know, he's not like that, right? He's not like kind of like a, he, he's a very blunt, you know, he just says what he thinks type of guy. But, uh, you know, like I said before, I remember like watching that scene again. I remember, as I said, watching this the first time and thinking, wait a second, this, I can't believe he's bringing this trust issue back up because they've already been through a couple things and there's been no mention of the trust issue. And then all of a sudden he's bringing it back up. Right. So, you know, like in that case, because of that line, really, I think this, this episode is better placed as we, we did it now as, as the, uh, cr- the, the guy, the show has intended it because yeah, it, it it's the, the line is inappropriate a little bit, not inappropriate, I shouldn't say, but it doesn't make sense later it comes from out of left field. Right. And I love what they're doing here. You
0: know, that that you do have a monster of the week, but we also have these little overarching storylines, you know, we 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 know there's something in Stone's past, really how did Cassie get to be a hospital janitor? You know, what's Ezekiel's deal? Um, you know, we have a little bit more grasp of where eve is coming from but but i just think it's brilliant the way they're doing that the fact that we only get 10 episodes uh, i don't know how much we're going to actually get but
1: that's okay right keeps getting renewed Yeah, exactly well and we know that like these three they're, they're in this position now because they didn't show up on the day that they were invited to become the librarians yep Right. So there's something about them that is unique, something that makes them different from you know other people. Yep.
0: All right. Well, the sheriff gives them surveillance photos that seem to spark something in stone, but then all of a sudden the mayor's out for a jog in the nude. And <laughs> here's where we start to put the fairy tales together. And this is of course the emperor's new clothes. But obviously it temporarily puts them all off his game and, and it was just it was just wonderful watching the looks on their faces it's like it's like you have to look but then you're disgusted
1: when you do look yeah let yeah. me just
0: look one more time <laughs>
1: yeah so i had a similar situation actually in new york this weekend and apparently in times square there's this thing where these uh women walk around topless uh with their breasts painted as like american flags so okay <laughs> and so it's like well those things like you know like you're with your wife you're like yeah, you know, like okay like should i tell her did you see that <laughs> say that that i saw it. i don't know if i want to fess up to see it one that, you know, well i so. think you
0: just did if you haven't already. yeah well yeah
1: you know, i told her about it, obviously <laughs> i think she would have uh, caught on eventually anyway but uh, uh but yeah like their their heads are they're both like in profile because they're turning their heads to the side like you know desperately trying not to turn and see but they still have to kind of like because the mayor is talking to them they have to kind of like turn a little bit to interact with him and everything so yeah yeah
0: so so at this point the four of them put their heads together and they realize okay this is more than just the troll and then suddenly down the street comes walking a giant wolf wearing a nightcap and of course we Put the uh, Red Riding Hood label uh-huh. on this one. Stone picks up an axe, throws it at the wolf, and kills it with a blow to the neck. And I'm thinking, like, all right, I didn't see that coming. And <laughs> That's kind of gruesome, but uh, okay. Yeah. You know, that might be one if you, you know, your child's a little young, you might put the hand sure. over the eyes for a quick quick bit. Somebody has weaponized fairy tales, Eve suggests. And, and I'm thinking like, <laughs> ah, isn't it just like her to put it like that?
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: And, of course, once she puts it like that, I'm thinking, like, Duloc and Lamia. I mean, why wouldn't I think that
1: at yeah, this point? Or, 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 yeah, exactly. Right. But, you know, it's the idea, again, of, like, fairy tales, of what we usually think of fairy tales as, you know, being brought up in uh, contemporary America where all these fairy tales are like – that. we know the Disney versions, right? Sure. So, they're all – happy endings and, uh, you know, good ones out. But you know, again, as Jenkins said, like, that's not the case with the uh, the real fairy tales. So so they are dark, and there is a lot of death and violence that occur in them. Yeah.
0: Well, fortunately, Jenkins has already done the legwork. He's got his whiteboard up there with all the possible— I don't know if it was a whiteboard or a blackboard. Now I can't remember now that I say
1: that. But- oh, it was, a, it was a chalkboard.
0: Okay. So he narrows it down to either the Mother Goose Treaty of 1918, because— People are still unhappy with the way Beatrix Potter rewrote the story <laughs> and Aesop's liar. Jenkin tells them they need to recover the wolf so he can autopsy it. And then that'll give him a better indication of what it is that they're dealing
1: with. I love the line there. Where, like, again, this shows like how these fantastic things are now becoming more commonplace where, you know, he's, he's crossed off the genie's lamp and Cassie goes, well, why not the genie's lamp? He's like, It's never the G's leg. Oh, that was great. Okay. That (laughs) was was great. Right. No reason. It just, it never was that. It's never the G's leg. Okay. She's just like, okay. You you should say like, why not? She's like, okay,
0: all right, fine. All right. So then we've got the scene where really everything starts to get weird. So we find out that the wolf is in the freezer of a local bar because that's the only freezer big enough to, to house it. Right. And immediately we notice that Eve's got her hair down, right? And Cassie, along with Eve, starts schmoozing the owner while Stone and Jones check for the wolf. So right away, okay, the hair being out of character is one thing. The two of them, who are certainly unlikely candidates for schmoozing, (laughs) Jones, sure. Stone, yeah, of course. But I was glad to see Cassie with Eve because, again, we we talked last week about seeing the different pairings and the different dynamics that each pairing produces. And I I like it. You've got the dynamic of the older, wiser, more experienced woman taking the younger team member under her wing. And I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. I I really thought that was a great scene because she brings up what she should do about
1: Stone. Well, and also conversely, the, the the pairing of Jacob and Ezekiel, who are probably as the two characters of this team who are most opposite one another. Oh my gosh, oil and water. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, they get what they came for. Put the wolf in the back of a pickup truck. You're not going to steal that. <laughs> no, he said. He said, "We're not going oh. to. No, we're not going <laughs> to steal it. I, I'm going to steal it. Right. So." If the guy leaves the keys under the visor, is that technically stealing? Because that's basically yeah. what Jones is asking. Do,
1: do people actually do that? Because you see that in movies all the time, but I don't imagine anyone leaving their car open with the key underneath the the visor. Like, is it that tough to put your keys in your pocket? Like, really? Yeah. So yeah. I don't. I don't. Do you know anyone who does that? Uh, I do not. Yeah. Okay. No. All
0: right. Well, Jenkins gets back to them tells them if it's the mother goose treaty the wolf's going to be stuffed with feathers so as uh who was it that was was it jenkins who, who was going to cut open who had the knife there was deciding which blade to use jenkins jenkins was. and then suddenly stone just i don't know where he got the blade he has he and he just, just pulls it out that,
1: nowhere like everything he does <laughs> right he, just, he
0: starts <laughs> hacking it open do you know what you're doing he pulls out a young woman who, <laughs> given that she's wearing red, we assume is yeah. Red Riding Hood.
1: <laughs> yeah, that is – I mean, like out of all. I guess we should have been expecting it at this point, but that is definitely not what we were expecting. Right. Uh, at least not me. I wasn't expecting
0: it. So he determines it's one of the things he crossed off the list initially, the Libris Fabula, it'll bring any storybook to life. And, and he seems really concerned at this point, and we cut to – a scene where the town's librarian is reading the same story to a little sick girl. And now we're starting to put two and two together, but that's not the only interesting thing that comes out of this scene. Why are all the women suddenly attracted to Cassandra? (laughs) Right. You know, the girl who'd been missing pulled out the wolf recovers in the hospital.
1: (sighs) That seems hilarious because uh, again, Jay was like, all right. Well, I'm the one who pulled you out of the, the wolf, you know. It's, but she's all about uh, Cassie and everything.
0: Uh, yeah, and we certainly noticed that back in the bar. And right. one of the things that John Rogers says in his blog, and, and again, I th- I find this fascinating. I love the fact that that he made these decisions. He said, "Look, obviously, she's Prince Charming, right? Obviously, Stone." should be Prince Charming, but that's so obvious. So we're not going to do
1: that. Right.
0: (laughs) And that's great that they, they did it that way.
1: This episode is just one of my absolute favorites of the librarians. And, uh, just because of stuff like that, you know, like you're right. Yeah. You could do the obvious thing, but turn it on its side and, and go the opposite way and do what is completely not expected. And it's just so much better.
0: Right, and, and then the way they, they have those subtle changes in their wardrobe, uh, Eve's hair keeps getting longer and her cleavage keeps getting getting bigger as, as the yeah. episode goes along and her vest tighter. You know, Stone, you know, he starts, I believe he's got like, it has this little leather wristband and then all of a sudden he's got this big glove and next thing you know, he's got the bird or...
1: Yeah, so, so it's like, you've got a bird. He's like, yep. <laughs> yeah this oh it's great yeah
0: all right so jenkins is now in the field with the team and, and he tells them as long as that book is being read its stories will come to life and, and at first only the stories already in the book come to life but as the book gains power the stories can be changed new stories added rewriting reality so uh, so obviously as the episode goes on we're wondering how much the librarian that's reading the story, how much he's deliberately making up as opposed to, I mean, does he understand that? Yes, he knows it's giving him power. Does he understand what it's doing to the rest of the town?
1: Yeah. I I mean, it seems like from his evil diatribe at the end that he totally understands everything that it's doing. Yeah.
0: Now, uh, as the story comes to life, they get more powerful, more people get swept in entire towns, entire nations. Jenkins tells them.
1: Right. Well, that's what he says. Do you know, what causes the black death and, you know, like Cassandra says the, the, whatever the name of the disease. And he's like, you are adorable. (laughs) You know, it would be tough to, to decide who
0: gets the best lines in this show, which, which again is one of the beauties of it. Obviously Jones gets a lot. Obviously Jenkins gets a lot, but, yeah, the others,
1: yeah, they, they, oh, Eve gets a lot too. They said the weaponized fairy tales one. That, that was a zinger. Yeah, that was a good one. So, all right. Well, this one, I, well, like again, like every librarian's episode. There's just so many great line. Like the writing is so well done, um, and there's so many great lines that uh, you know. And, and also because it's also like it's adventure and it's fun, but it's also fun. You know, like the comedy and the, but there's also like this real. Threat, and there's real danger there as well, so. Right, and you, you really, look, w- w- this is the fourth
0: episode we've talked about. And you care about the characters. Yep. And you want to know more about their backstory, you want to know more about events in their lives that that have gotten to them to this point. And you don't ordinarily see that in a show that's light like this. Mm-hmm. So, All right, well, it's no surprise that Jones breaks into the vending machine. It was a little surprise he didn't wait until Eve at least got around the corner. (laughs) All the coins spill out. One of them has a mind of its own, leads him to the dying kid who's being read to from the fairy tale book. The kid fell asleep during story hour at the library and has been sick ever since. And obviously we know who was reading at the library. And again, a question I'm not sure we get an answer. Did the town librarian know going in the effect reading from that book would have, or did he just discover it along the way? I'm assuming he discovered it along the way.
1: Yeah, I, I think we're left to assume that, absolutely. right? But we don't know for sure.
0: Right, because even given Stone's vast knowledge, I mean, he recognizes these titles immediately, I, I don't think he knew that it had that kind of power. Right she laments that she only gets jello so jones teaches her how to pick the lock again classic yep and you know you think about it and obviously her her father is horrified the the sheriff when he finds out that she's been taught how to pick a lock but you know and again not to get too heavy or anything it's like but that would be such a great thing to Teach a kid in her position. I mean, a, a child that's dying—that knows she's going to die. You're, it's it's just something that an experience she would never have, and now to have that because you could see it just brightened up her her day.
1: Yeah, well, I think just yeah, like learning something new and and you know getting you know having someone not treat her like a dying kid, but just like hey, why don't you check this out? Look, and you know. and, and just the forbiddenness of it, right. Right. I, I think is
0: also important. Then Joan's line about, eh, you know, fairy tales really aren't my thing. The bad guys never win. And the irony is here, the bad guy wins.
1: Right. right.
0: So, or, but that, you know, bad guy. Yeah, I know it's yeah. relative. Sure. Right.
1: But yeah, it was and the chef here showing like very kind of lupine characteristics with the, you know, like the sniffing and everything it was like really weird. I think that is the second time he did it. It was in that scene.
0: We, receive an explanation for the origin of the book that apparently a rare book collector has donated some old books to the local library and and surprise stone is aware of this man and we get an explanation for the alternative behaviors if you will you know we've already mentioned cassandra as prince charming uh stone as the huntsman eve as a princess i'm not sure it's a particular princess although there are a couple points where she complains about her shoe falling off right. <laughs> and are are we to
1: believe you know cinderella or yeah a- i think just it's it's their uh their archetypes right sure so it's not a specific princess it's just a a a character type in fairy tales okay But I like like the one that she's like, well, how am I, Princess? (laughs) Yeah, like she does that that high-pitched laugh. And and then is able to snap out of it. Right. you, You know, in the next
0: second. So Eve decides she's going to take all the unaffected civilians back to the annex. And I'm not sure at that point how she's able to subjugate the effect of the book, but she seems to be able to do it fairly easily. And then Cassie looks at the citizens, come with me if you want to live dude that never gets old with me no matter what show does it right right i love it and and the fact that she says it yeah doesn't get any better than that oh
1: and you see you know her stepping into this you know heroic role um is you know great you know for cassie
0: oh yeah she's standing up on the table with her pseudo sword but jones finds the town librarian reading to the girl not as a and not only does he realize he's killing her, but he revels in this increased power he's getting.
1: Again, we don't- uh, also, he's got, like, do you see, like, the cap he has? Like, he's not, it's no longer a baseball hat. But it's like a little, uh, my dad called him, like, a driving cap.
0: Oh, so, I don't think I noticed that.
1: Yeah, okay. his hat changed. So it looks like more like a a hat that, like, a, a thief would wear rather than a baseball cap.
0: right. Now, obviously it's Jones that gets to the bottom of the problem and not that the others aren't on the right track, but as you mentioned a few minutes ago, had they listened to him, that the answer was in the hospital, you know, the problem could already be solved, but you know, Stone's acting heroically trying to
1: save the girl. And exactly. You, you look at the archetypes that, that they have undertaken. He's the only one. the the lucky Jack is the only one who could possibly you know like he he stumbles upon all this stuff right right it's all he happens to just he gets lucky time and time again
0: I, I wonder if part of his ability to make this connection with this young girl is the fact that clearly he's the youngest member of the team right I, I think it seems as if he's even supposed to be younger than Cassandra Now maybe so, I'm yeah. wrong
1: no I I mean I don't, I don't know but yeah he, he seems to or at least It seems like he is because he's probably the most, like, immature, too.
0: Okay. All right. So he uses his coin, gets the book away from the librarian, who then in probably the best special effects scene, probably in the series to date, I thought, was when the guy ends up going into the book. Right. And then he gives it to her and tells her to tell your story, one with a happy ending. (laughs) And... And, and of course she's like, Well, there's a giant robot. I forget what else she says. There oh, three-
1: Jacob turns into a robot. So he like stands up and it's like another Terminator type reference. You see through his eye, and then you see like through his viewpoint as he scans the people in front of him. Eve becomes a ninja princess. Oh, exactly, right. <laughs> but before that is the, the the classic line, why am I wearing heels? Yeah. <laughs> and then uh Cassandra becomes Merlin,
0: you know, so everything, obviously we're on our way to, uh, everybody lived happily ever after ending, but now we're out on the street and the townspeople don't remember what happened. And you start, you know, seeing husbands ex- trying to explain to their wives why they were doing whatever it was they were doing. And I think there was one husband trying to explain to the one girl who seemed to always be front and center, with Cassandra, the one wearing that red and white check shirt. Mm -hmm. Not that I noticed her. (laughs) And, you know, Jones tells the sheriff who's now reunited with his daughter. Why don't we just say they all lived happily ever after and leave it at that. And of course that's what they do.
1: Well, before that, the explanation is. Swamp gas. Swamp gas. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. So they tied into the the beginning. I, I like how they did that. Yep. So
0: now we're back at the Annex for our episode debrief. Jenkins now has apparently the entire book collection at the Annex, but the Libra's Fabula is blank except for the one page with the image of the librarian. And and he says, magic always has a cost. And I, I guess that that's a phrase that we're going to need to hold on to because i'm guessing that's not the last time we're going to have to examine
1: that yeah i'm sure it's not absolutely but it also reveals kind of this darker side of it i mean yeah the this guy kind of got what was coming to him and everything but still it's still kind of a dark ending for him yeah is he in there
0: forever or is there going to be something that will release him don't know don't know after Jones goes through all his uh, awesomeness routine, Cassandra's left alone, and we see she's got this little blue light that she's holding in her hand. I mean, right. what's
1: residual magic? Uh, yeah, I'm thinking because you know she did become. That's a, like kind of like the light that when she became Merlin, like that's a, a light like that appeared. So you know maybe, maybe yeah, like residual magic. Exactly. Yeah. Now how long? How long will its effect
0: be? Don't know. We'll see. I guess next episode. Yep. but uh, just a wonderful story. I I really enjoyed this one.
1: Yeah, when I saw this was next up, I'm like, oh, well, well, I'll totally watch that one next (laughs) because I remember that this was how great. But I'd forgotten about how like all the elements I really loved. I think this was a show that after I watched, I was like, you know what? I really, really love this show. Yeah, Yeah. like this. This. This is the episode that kind of confirmed to me that the librarians was something completely different from any other show and that it was really um made it one of my favorites all right well anything else you want to say about it
0: uh i don't think so i think we pretty much got it all all right well let me just yeah we got a few minutes here we're not doing too badly on time i i mentioned Good. at the top of the show that uh this is san diego comic-con week and and as i'm sure most of you know the panels end up one way or another on youtube in some form or another so thursday we've got a panel called welcome to the whedon verse we've got a panel for man in the high castle walking dead colony van helsing which is part of a production company that simon barry put together with continuum i'm going to be covering van helsing for den of geek when it debuts in september what's luke that to be on luke cage mr robot Dark Matter, and we know for the Dark Matter panel, two, three, four, five, and Nix will be there. Uh, Friday, Con Man with Nathan Fillion and Alan Tudyk. Another Walking Dead and Fear the Walking Dead panel. Game of Thrones, Agents of Shield, American Gods. One that appears, I think, every year, called Conversations with Joss. And apparently, each year at San Diego, he reveals what it is he's working on. And obviously, now he's stepped away from the Marvel Universe. So who who knows what he's going to be working on? Right. But usually, he tells us something. It's going to be a big, yeah. Uh, I, Zombie, Orphan Black, Vikings, and Preacher. And then Saturday is just chock full. I mean, if there's a show that you watch, it's probably being done on Saturday. So a lot to look forward to. I'm glad I'm not going because you know how I feel about crowds, but I'm, <laughs> I'm glad that everybody's not like me so that I'll be able to see the fruits of their labors once it appears on YouTube. Cool. Well, we want to thank you for joining us tonight. We'd love to hear from you with follow-ups about any of the pilots that we previewed, anything else you think we should be watching. Certainly what, what you think about the librarians. Like to encourage you to join the Facebook group. And if you're already a member, spread the word. Emails to scifi TV rewatch at gmail.com. Voicemails via SpeakPipe, which you can access through the website. We'll be back next week to discuss season one, episode eight of The Librarians, titled The Librarians and the Heart of Darkness.
1: But until then. Dave, you know who's really lucky? Not me. You for knowing me. You're welcome.